Let us now turn to the Word of God, and we may turn just now to the chapter read, John's Gospel, chapter 17. Uh, this, uh, the content of this chapter is often referred to as the high priestly prayer of the Savior, and it truly is that. He is interceding, he is praying, and he is praying for himself to begin with, and then he prays for his apostles whom he's going to send out into the world, and then he prays for those, the church, that will believe their message when they go into all the world to teach and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the part of the chapter that we are interested in particularly today is what he prayed for his disciples, his apostles. Last Lord's Day, we were considering how he taught them, how he was preparing them for the great task that lay before them. They were to go into all the world, into a heathen world, full of idolatry and immorality, a world that knew not God. And there they were, 12 of them, to begin with, sent out into that world to teach men to observe all things whatsoever he had commanded them. They had to know what they were commanded if they were going to exercise an effective ministry. But the Savior didn't just simply teach them. He uh, prayed for them knowing what lay ahead of them. He knew what they didn't know. And he prayed for them. And uh, in this chapter 17 of John's Gospel, you have the Savior in the first five verses. He's praying to the Father concerning himself. And it is very interesting to see the language that he uses, not only at the beginning of the chapter, but later down in verse 11. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. It was as though the Savior was already exalted. It was, a, it was as though he was actually in heaven in the presence of his father. It's as though he's in his immediate presence and he's addressing him. Uh, earlier in the chapter, he says, verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, and so on. So this is the way we should look at this uh, prayer, it's as though we're listening to the Son of God speaking to his Father about those matters that particularly concern him. And in this case, as we're uh, looking at it, that which concerned his apostles. You will see uh, that he says that he's sending them into the world as the Father has sent him. He's sending them. So he prays for them. Now, before we actually look at what he prays uh, for them, it is, I think, important to go back to what he taught them. Because he's praying over what he has taught them, over what he has instructed them in. He wants them to retain the truth that he has been teaching them. And you'll see how concentrated this prayer is on the apostles. In verse 9 he says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. Now the very fact that that prayer is so concentrated is indication sufficient of how they were going to be dependent 
on the power of God to keep them and preserve them. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Now, sometimes you will hear this chapter explained in a way that it would appear that it is a prayer for the church. It certainly is, but in a particular context. It is a prayer particularly for these disciples. If you go back, uh, you will see that Jesus uh, is preparing them. They're with him. He's preparing them for the time he's going to leave them. He knows what they're going to be facing. And he encourages them and he tells them, In chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Who is he actually addressing? You will see in the context, he is addressing his disciples. He's not out on the mount addressing the multitudes. He is not on a boat uh, on the shores of Galilee preaching to a multitude of people. He's with his disciples. These words are for them, and he wants them to hear them. And uh, you will see then, chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband man. He's still teaching them. And then in verse, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 26, he says, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, Even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. That should confirm (coughs) that these are the disciples. Because whenever there is a replacement uh, for Judas Iscariot, one had to be chosen that had been with the Savior from the beginning, from his baptism, and was a witness to his resurrection. And these are those who have been with the Savior, and he's preparing them, uh, teaching them, instructing them, and then he prays for them, and they hear what he prays. And it's as though the Lord, in this context, is taking their minds with him into heaven as they are listening to him and as he addresses his father. It's as though he's teaching them what goes on in heaven, what he does on their behalf in his father's presence, the things that he prays for for them, the petitions that he presents to the father for them or on their behalf. And you will see in various verses in the chapter 17 of John's Gospel, actually the part of the prayer that's concentrated on the disciples or the apostles is from verse 6 down to the end of verse 19. And you can see that. It's quite obvious. He says that he has given them the word that came from the Father. He says in verse 8, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. That's what I've given them, the words that I have received from thee. I have conveyed accurately God's word to these disciples, and they have received them. Now, we know perfectly well there were many, and they rejected what Christ taught them. They turned the Pharisees, the scribes, they rejected the words that Jesus taught. But he's speaking here of those who he has given them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. 
So not only did they believe the word, they believed the person who was delivering the word to them. And you will see in uh, verse 14, likewise, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So here we have the Savior praying for those that he has been teaching, he has been instructing. And we looked at some of the instruction he gave them. But he prays for their keeping. In verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That's what he's praying. They're in an evil world. Sometimes I wonder if we believe that. Do we actually believe we are living in an evil world? Do parents raise their children to believe that their children are living in an evil world? Thus, it is a dangerous world. It is a world where there is evil, evil influences and dangers uh, for those who would fear God and who would endeavor to walk in his truth. This is why the Savior is praying. I've given them the word. And the world doesn't like that word. And the world hates them because they adhere to that word. But I'm praying that you will keep them. Keep them in that world. Keep them from being influenced by it. Keep them from being corrupted by it. Keep them true to the word that I have given to them. Now, going back then to the way the Savior uh, taught uh, the disciples... Uh, He taught them as a rabbi did. They followed him everywhere. They were to be with him, as we noticed last Lord's Day. He chose the twelve out of all the disciples that he had to be with him. So everywhere he went, they went with him. That was the way that rabbis generally instructed their pupils. They would walk and they would be teaching them as they were walking, as well as instructing them in other Uh, situations, but that was the customary way of teaching, and the Savior chose these men to be with him, they would see his miracles, they would hear his parables, they would uh, listen to him, they would observe him, they would be influenced by him as he instructed them by precept and example, but also as he rebuked them and warned them. Part of their instruction had to be Warning, and uh, they had received all the words that the Savior gave them. All the warnings were from the Father as well as from Jesus Christ. If you uh, look at what we uh, have, for example, in the first Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, Jesus there, uh, and I want us to note that when he spoke of the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, he drew attention to what he called leaven. The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now we know what leaven is. Leaven, we're told, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And when Jesus was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, he's warning them against it, knowing that a little of that leaven would indeed corrupt them and would affect their thinking and their attitude to the word of God because the Pharisees and the Sadducees rejected that word. Now, in Matthew 16, we have the Savior uh, 
In verse 6 of that chapter, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, at first, the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus was talking about because of the situation they found themselves in, and they thought he was talking about the leaven of bread. But then he explained to them, and we're told in verse uh, 11, How is it that ye do not, Jesus said, How is it that ye do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't agree. Although they were members of the great Sanhedrin, they were quite different. Their doctrinal position was different. The Pharisees, as you know, were much given to external religion. They loved to stand in the streets praying in the street corners and in the synagogues. And they were into tithing and carefully uh, giving tithes of everything uh, to God as they thought. Their religion was very material in a way. They were taken up with material things while at the same time supposedly devoting themselves to God. They, of course, believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. The Sadducees were the aristocracy, the religious aristocracy, and they considered themselves often to be in a different level to the Pharisees. And uh, while the Pharisees tended to be popular with the people because in their ignorance, they considered the Pharisees to be very religious and very devout. And so they uh, admired them often because of how religious they were. And they had influence upon the people. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed in concentrating upon the present life and uh, uh, a good life and uh, they, they, they were very materialistic in their thinking. But they had the Pharisees and all these rules and regulations and commandments of men. And uh, what the Savior is really telling these disciples is this. Beware that you're not influenced by the religious thinking of your day, the religious thinking of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees was the major pool of thinking, as it were. There were small groups uh, that would separate from the temple and they would go out into the desert and they would set up uh, their own religious community in protest. But generally speaking, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes among them, they were the influential religious leaders. And what these disciples are being warned about is this. They must adhere to nothing but the word of God. Jesus was laying down that principle that has been with us since the Reformation. Scripture alone. This is what he taught them. I have given you the word of God. They are going to have a different word. They are going to interpret the scriptures differently. You are going to hear them say what I told you in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They're going to be telling you that Moses said this, Abraham said that. Isaiah said this, but I say unto you, so you must be 
aware of this. And you must uh, maintain vigilance against being influenced and affected by the doctrine of the, the religious doctrine of your day and generation. Also, you'll see in Mark's, uh, or Luke's account, I should say, uh, first of all, uh, Luke chapter 12, you have the Savior there, and he's speaking of the Pharisees again, and he tells his disciples, his future apostles, that they are to beware, verse 1 of Luke 12, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples. So he's addressing them directly. There's a great crowd of people. But he's speaking to the disciples particularly. First of all, what does he mean by this? This is important. This is Priority. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Which is hypocrisy. Now, what is the Savior teaching them? That when they go out into the world, they are not to be hypocritical. They're not to be preaching one thing and doing another. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Do we understand what the Savior's saying? Hypocrisy is a leaven. A little leaven. A little hypocrisy. Leavens everything. Hypocrisy grows. Hypocrisy expands. Hypocrisy increases. It's so dangerous. Hypocrisy, we might think, well, a little hypocrisy now and again won't do any harm. Well, that's not what Jesus was teaching these men. When you go out into that world, it's dangerous. It's an evil world. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, <coughs> which is hypocrisy. And you see, the Pharisees were outwardly very religious. But inwardly, what did Jesus tell them? They were like whited sepulchers. They were full of dead men's bones, as it were. Their religion was all external, it was all outward, it was all a show. And so the Savior is teaching these disciples, when you go out into that world, be honest men, be faithful men, but avoid every form of hypocrisy. It won't work. Keep away from establishing mere external religion. Don't be taken up with showy religion. Don't be taken up with impressing men. That's what he's warning them against. It is very interesting as he encourages them and he's concentrating here on the disciples and he's warning them to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he calls them his friends in the chapter. And he warns them who they should fear when they go out into that world. Verse 5 of Luke 12. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's the fear that you carry with you. Don't be afraid of men. Fear God. And then he says this, and it's very interesting. It's very striking. Are not five sparrows 
sold for two farthings. And not one of them is forgotten of God. Not even a sparrow. I'm sure you all see sparrows around and they're they're not very valued, are they? Jesus says there's not even one of them can will ever be forgotten of your father. I wonder how many times you've looked at a little sparrow, boys and girls, when you see the little birds hopping around in the garden, the little sparrows, do you think God is interested in that little sparrow? Because this is what it says, not one of them is forgotten before God. And when you see that little sparrow, think this, God has his eye on that sparrow. That's what the Bible teaches. There's so many simple lessons that should be taught to the children. And they're neglected. Simple, simple lessons. But why do I mention this? Because of what Jesus goes on to say then of the disciples who are to become apostles. Verse 7, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Not a sparrow can be forgotten of God. God values you, who is sending out into the world with his glorious gospel into an evil world where there's danger continually, You are of such value that God will never forget you. And what an amazing thing that is. What an encouragement. That those whom God was sending out through Jesus Christ, he would never forget one of them. Not even for a moment. And that remains true even in our day and generation. Those whom God calls and sends forth He doesn't forget them, and he doesn't forsake them, no matter what. Now, here is the Savior warning against hypocrisy now. Then you have, later on in the same gospel, according to Luke, in the chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is teaching, No man, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the disciples have to understand that. They have only one master. They can't be double-hearted or double-minded. They've got to concentrate on serving their Lord. And then he goes on. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things and they derided him. What's the leaven then of the Pharisees? Covetousness. When the Savior called these disciples, they left everything. That's what Peter said. We have left all and followed thee. Well, they might struggle. They might find themselves impoverished. Jesus told them when they went out they were not to take two coats. They were not to take two sets of sandals. They were not to be taking money with them. They were to go out and exercise their ministry by faith, believing that the Lord would supply their needs. And of course he did. Peter said, We have left all to follow thee. They might sometimes, in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations, be thinking like Asaph. They might begin to covet the easy life, the comfortable life. 
avoid criticism, avoid ridicule, avoid the hostility of the world, avoid the imprisonment, avoid crucifixion, avoid these things, coveting the lifestyle of those in the world around them. Jesus said that's the leaven of the Pharisees. Covetousness is a leaven. Now, we don't think of it like that, do we? We don't think, well, if I see my neighbor's house and I think I'd like a house like that instead of the one I'm in, I like the look of my neighbor's new vehicle. It's a lot flashier than what I'm driving around in and so on. Covetousness. It's dangerous. It's a leaven. And when the spirit of covetousness gets hold of us, it robs us of contentment. And you know there's so much discontent, even among Christians. What did Paul teach Timothy? Having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. Let us be content. That's what the Christian's supposed to be like, content. But there isn't much contentment in the world that we live in. It's the very opposite. But what Jesus taught uh, the disciples, they were with him everywhere. They were listening to him, uh, teaching through parables and sermons and so on. And he's warning them there's things they've got to avoid. If they're going to be successful in their mission, they've got to be men who have the right spirit, not like the sons of thunder that we noted last Lord's Day, when they were going to call down fire on the cities of Samaria. No, Jesus said, you're not of the right spirit. You're not the kind of men that I can use. You're not suitable for my mission until you change. And you will see again in the gospel (coughs) according to Mark in the seventh chapter of that gospel, Mark emphasizes again the teaching of the Savior concerning the leaven of the Pharisees in particular, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And in verse 3 of Mark 7, he says, The Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not according to the tradition of the elders. And in verse 4, many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. And what did Jesus say in John 17? I have given them thy word. They need to be aware and need to be warned against the leaven of the Pharisees. And what is the leaven of the Pharisees here? It's the leaven of adding to the Word of God. Adding on the traditions of men. Adding the traditions of men so that the traditions of men are elevated to the status of infallibility. The Pharisees approached the Savior, verse 5 of Mark 7. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they follow the traditions? Jesus said, The traditions of men are not the word of God. 
And when you go into the world, you're not sent to treat, to teach the traditions of men. Doesn't matter how ancient they are. It doesn't matter how well established they are. They are but the traditions of men. And Jesus stresses how serious a matter this is when he says in verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. We're back to the Pharisees with their hypocrisy. As it is written, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, for doctrines, the commandments of men. Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. One thing I've learned is that many who profess the name of Christ are afraid to search the scriptures honestly. Because everybody, every ecclesiastical body has its traditions. That's a fact. And people say, well, our fathers did this, and they'll often ask the question, what did the godly fathers say? What did the fathers of our church say? And so on. Jesus is teaching these men. They have a mighty task on their hands. And they are going to meet with people throughout the world and they'll have all their different cultures and they'll have all their different traditions as every people in the earth have. Anytime you go on holiday to a foreign land, you will become aware quickly these people here have their history and they have their culture and they have their traditions. And very often we're very interested in these traditions because to us they might seem strange. And they're maintaining these traditions as they maintain links with the past and with their fathers and their grandfathers and their ancestors. And you see what Jesus is talking about? I remember years ago when I was out in Ukraine and on a Sabbath morning as we were traveling to the little place where we would worship, every cemetery as we passed it was packed full of people. It was a Sabbath morning. Now I can't remember, it was, it was a particular time of the year, but everywhere the graves were full of little candles all burning. And I inquired of our interpreter, what's the meaning? What are all these people doing? It was part of the Orthodox Church's practice and religion. They were honoring their ancestors. And in reality, it was ancestor worship. You know what Jesus is saying here? These Pharisees are hypocrites because they're drawing near to God with their lips and yet they're holding the traditions of their fathers as though that's what God requires of them and instead of worshipping God, they're worshipping their ancestors. They're worshipping the fathers. And don't think for a moment that we wouldn't do anything like that. How many times I remember 
when I was in Inverness, there was, I was at the communion in Ullapool, and there were people in the manse, they were from the free church, but they had a great place for the other minister who was with me at the communion, and so they were there, and they were lamenting about the changes that were taking place in their church building. And they were lamenting how they'd been taking out the pews. And they were putting in modern seating. Oh, this is terrible. What would our fathers think? What would they be? They'd be upset. And you see... There are so many things. And that's just a a very simple, uh, maybe an extreme example, but so often, you see, we do not think, is this the word of God or is it not? Is this what God says or is this what God requires or is this simply what men require? Jesus said, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men. I have sometimes seen people get very angry. When I ask a simple question, will you show me that from Scripture? And then they look at me as though I'm very, very ignorant. You mean you don't know? No, I don't. Show me it from Scripture. Well, well, I I, I just can't do it now. We are a people who believe in one only infallible rule of faith and practice. There is an infallible rule of faith and practice. Not what we merely believe and what we profess, but what we do, what we practice. And the Savior here is teaching these disciples because they have a mighty task on their hand. And he said to them in verse 9, the Pharisees here, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye might keep your own tradition. When it comes to it, and a choice has to be made, We don't want to upset the fathers. And we don't want to reject their traditions. It's a tradition. But there's the word of God. And we're not prepared to give up the tradition to keep the word of God. That's what the Savior says. You disciples, when you go out into the world... You better know the word of God. You better know the difference between the word of God and the word of men. And I'm not sending you out to bring all your traditions and your 361 commandments out to the Gentile world to convert them to tradition. I'm sending you to convert them to the word of God, to be brought into conformity to the mind of God and the will of God, and that is known in the scriptures of God. That's where the disciples were to find it, and that is why you find that they adopted the synagogue system and are Church and our Presbyterianism has its roots in the synagogue system 
when the temple in 70 AD was destroyed, the synagogue system, the, 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 the chain of synagogues throughout Judaism, throughout the empire, that continued. And it was in that system that the apostles would find the word of God. You, you have to understand, we can come along today and we can all carry our Bibles with us in our hands. And we never even think twice about it. We just own Bibles like we own furniture. We have access to Bibles. They didn't have, the apostles didn't have Bibles as you and I have them. The word of God was kept and preserved in the synagogues. And if they were going to go and teach the people, well, they had to teach them the word of God. And if they're going to explain the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah or Daniel or Moses and the law, well, they went to the synagogue because that's where the scrolls of the scriptures were preserved. And so the synagogue system was a vital uh, provision that God in providence had provided for the establishing of early Christianity. But coming back to John 17, Jesus is praying for them. He knows what lies ahead of them. And he said, you will be treated as your master is treated. And you'll be persecuted. And he said, you will be hated. But he says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples, uh, it's one of those things that is often done innocently, uh, people will quote the scriptures and they give it a particular application that is not the contextual application. We often hear people say, he that endureth to the end shall be saved, and that means perseverance. We need persevering grace. To persevere to the end. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Those words were actually spoken to the disciples, the apostles. They had to have the spirit of endurance to endure, to press on, to fight on. And you will see uh, when Paul, uh, as an apostle, when he's writing, for example, to the Ephesians. In the past, we've looked at the exhortation of Paul to the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. In order that we might stand against the wiles of the devil. Because it is a real spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare. These disciples had to be armed, particularly with the word of God. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then notice what follows, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Why do you think the apostles in Acts chapter 6 said they weren't going to serve tables? We will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. That's our weaponry. That's how we will fight the Lord's battles in an evil world. We will take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. We will devote ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer. 
And Jesus is praying in John 17 for them that that's exactly what they will do. Verse 8 again. Uh, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Now they are going to have to have that word written on their conscience, written in their hearts. They are going to have to concentrate upon it. When Paul is exhorting Timothy, what does he tell him to do? Preach the word. Preach the word. And I fear that in our day and generation, so many men, they enter pulpits and they're seminary educated or college educated at a Bible college or a, a seminary. And they've learned the language of the educated. And so what do they do to express their learning? They tell you what Calvin said. Not everybody knows what Calvin said, but I can tell you what Calvin said. Not everyone has read Luther's works, but I can tell you what Luther said. Not everyone has read Matthew Henry, but I'll tell you what Matthew Henry said. And their quotation upon quotation of what all these good and gracious men have said in the past. Instead of preaching the word, the word speaks. The word is alive. And what did... The apostle teach that elders, presbyters, are to be honored, highly regarded, especially those who labor in what? Who labor, who work at it, who give themselves to it, who labor in the word. And in doctrine. And it doesn't matter whether they are considered to be even imbeciles. And they haven't come from some scholarly institute where they've learned all the theologians' names and the differences in their theology and the disputes that they have engaged in and all the mighty councils of the church, what they've agreed on. What Jesus sends these men out with is the word of God. You men are to labor in the word and in the doctrine. Sweat it out in the word. That's where your workplace is. That's what you concentrate upon. And let's say, in spite of all our Reformed theology and all our Reformed teaching today, in spite of all the educated men that are entering pulpits, it's a generation that is very ignorant of the Word of God. And we're not facing up to it. We may read books and we may learn what this one said and that one said, but do we, do we get into the Word of God? Is that what we really want to know? What is God saying through His Word? The disciples, Jesus prays for them that they will take with them the Word of God that He has taught them. Because it is the word of God which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the word of God, nothing else. Not the word of men. The word of God is the mighty power of God unto salvation to them that believe. And Jesus prays for them. And this is 
what he says in verse 10 here in John uh, chapter 17. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. A wicked world, a sinful world, a fallen world. These are in that world where the devil is going around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the world they are in. Keep them. There'll be no church if they're not kept. There'll be no glorified saints in heaven if they're not kept. Keep them. Keep them. Because this is what he later prays. Verse 20. Neither pray I for for these alone, but for them also which shall believe in me through their word. They must be kept. And the word must be kept in their hearts. That's what the church is going to be built on. The word. And they have to be kept. That the word might be preserved. And then he prays uh, for them that believe. That they all may be one. As thy father art in me and I in thee that they all also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And there he prays for the unity of believers, those who would believe in the word, that they through that believing of that word might be united to himself and united to God. Reconciled a wicked fallen world and through the preaching of that word, men and women would be brought into a reconciled state with God. And he prays, Father, keep them men. They are only men. Keep them from being infected with the leaven of the Pharisees. Keep them from being carried away with the crowd. In John chapter 6, Jesus, for the sake of time, he turned to his disciples on one occasion and he said, as they all left him, will ye also go away? Will ye also go away? Will you join the crowd? What did they say? Peter was their spokesman. Lord, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. And those are the words that they were given, the words of eternal life to carry out into that lost and evil world. And what was Jesus teaching them? They were with them to be taught. He was testing them. They were being tested. Their faith was being tested. Will ye also go away? Will you be influenced by the majority's thinking? Will you be influenced by the crowd? Or will you stand with me? Just twelve men. What will you do? And they had to learn as they got out into that world. There's one thing must govern their thoughts, their minds, their wills, control everything. The words that he had given them. But we shall leave it there. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Most holy and eternal God, we thank thee for the great plan of redemption, the great plan that was settled in eternity past, agreed by the glorious persons of the Trinity, and then to be executed through the instruments a poor men, ordinary men, but willing men, men controlled and led by the Spirit and men filled their minds full 
of the word of God. Oh, do thou raise up such men in our day and generation. Bless thy truth to each of us. May we be encouraged by it. And hear us and accept us and pardon us. For the Redeemer's sake. Amen.